Today on the podcast, we have Riggs Eckleberry, and he is the founder and CEO of Origin Clear. Riggs, how are you doing today? <laughs> well, I, as I told, told you in the pre-call, I just came off of a, a shoot where I was able to announce some amazing news that we'll get to. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm on top of the world. Thank you. That's incredible. That's incredible. And before we get started, you know, would you mind letting the people know where they can find, you know, your company's website or find you on social media? So we are Origin Clear, uh, one word, obviously. Um, so people can go to originclear.com or they can go into Facebook, type in Origin Clear. Um, and, you know, what the smart thing to do is, right, when you come into Origin Clear at the bottom, there is a sign up, put your name in, because when you receive updates from me, and you reply, it goes straight into my inbox, and I respond personally. So I love to hear from people. And I also do a weekly briefing that goes on Zoom, and it's every Thursday night, uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Reno time. And it's, it's you're, you're on Pacific time, right? Yes, sir. So 5 p.m. Reno time, and then 8 p.m. Eastern, every Thursday night, and you just uh, go to the Origin Clear site, sign up, and I'd love to... Uh, have you be part of the exciting things we got going? That's incredible. That's incredible. So, you know, let's just kind of start from the top and talk a little bit about where you grew up and where you're from. Well, I basically grew up everywhere and nowhere. Uh, my dad was a, uh, he, he early on became what he called a soap salesman, which means he was a Procter and Gamble executive. And um, rather than um, go back to Cincinnati and have his career there, he decided to work in the foreign branches of the company. And uh, as a result, we had a very exciting time. I was raised, I was born in Canada, uh, raised in the Caribbean and in Europe. And um, basically I know very few people from my days uh, back then. Um, it's good and bad, you know, because uh, I have, I think I have a very good view of the whole world, but at the same time kind of don't have roots, you know? So that's my background. Now, um, after after school, I went and uh, got into the uh, the nonprofit space, and I really had the bug to change the world. Bug, make no money, but you know, try and do good things. And that went on until the '80s when I got super excited about technology. And the '80s for me was transformative um, because I don't do drugs. I actually remember the '80s, so. Uh, <laughs> And uh, didn't get as many chicks, but it was much better for my health. And uh, the 80s uh, was wonderful. It was in New York City and um, lots of learning experiences, which I, I won't get into right now. But what it did really tell me was, yeah, technology is for real. It's really how the world can change. And then I got involved in the dot-com, which was just oh, what an amazing ride. And in the early 2000s, I was like, I was helping a company get on onto the NASDAQ and, and in, the, in the high tech space. And I got a chance to be a CEO. And here I am. So fast forward to 14 years later, I'm a CEO of a public company. And uh, I know a lot about public companies that I did not know. That's incredible. I mean, that's, that's an amazing and very rich history and rich background. But, you know, with you kind of growing up all over the place from Canada, to the Caribbean, to Europe, and, you know, spending some time in New York, how would you say that, you know, living in these different places kind of impacted your outlook on life and success? 
One thing I can say is that um, there's nothing like America for being able to experiment, right? I remember doing a um, seminar once in Northern California and afterwards, it was about, I don't know, um, business. And I happened to mention that, you know, um, I, you know, one basically trying the, you know, uh, trip, trip and fall and get up model, trip and fall and get up, trip and fall and get up. And this German comes up to me afterwards and he goes, do you know, in, in Germany, we can't do that. If we fail once, we're done. Like, forget it. Your, your, your history, right? And I was like, whoa, that I would not want to be in Germany for that purpose because I'm by nature, I'm experimental. Don't make me be perfect the first time because it never is perfect. Come on. Right. right? So um, I like America for the fact that we are friendly to that, you know, get up and try again, get up and try again, um, you know, learn your lessons and so forth. Uh, perfection is attained, I think, through repetition. Um, just like becoming a good, you know, weightlifter or rower or basketball player, you know, 10,000 times, right? So that's the kind of thing that I, I think America is great for. Um, I love being in a place like Paris and it's so beautiful and so forth. But um, we got something good going on here. No, I would have to agree with that 1000%. And I think that, you know, you being not afraid to experiment and not afraid to try things and not even afraid to fall down. Uh, I believe that that helped, uh, you know, create the path that, that you're on today and allowed you to take on such a huge problem that we have in the world. You know, what Origin Clear does it tackles a huge problem in humanity. So, you know, I just want to ask the next question, what is Origin Clear? Well, thank you for that question. And, and you know, um, we ha we've had a long and varied history. And because we started out not in water industry, we started out in what's called algae and making algae into a biofuel, which was so exciting. And I was on, uh, I was on, um, you know, um, Stuart Varney at Fox called me, I'll call you algae man, you know. <laughs> I was on all the big shows and people thought it was great. Then the price of oil crashed. And all of a sudden, algae was a science experiment. And um, you don't run public companies if you can't, if you don't have a shot at making some money. Um, and the price of crude, because of fracking, just crashed. And we had to reinvent the company. And that's when we realized that we needed to be in, um, well, that we had the opportunity to be in water because harvesting algae is a, algae is a, is a suspended solid. You can harvest it out the same way you can harvest sewage, right? Um, and we actually made the made the pivot. I have an amazing uh, set of super loyal investors, people who believe in us, and uh, they've been with us this whole time. I, I've I've got investors back from 10, 12, 14 years ago. They're still on board and they're very faithful. And what that means is we can try things. So in this case, we got into the water industry, and all of a sudden, it was like. Everything went, Ooh. all of a sudden, no media wanted to know about me. People are like, yeah, water is really interesting. Don't need to know about sewage. Thank you very much. Right. And so um, I remember in the 80s, I was watching a sewage plant being built on the, on the, 
on the West Side Drive by, by the Hudson River. And it was just a bunch of concrete. I didn't have much interest in it. Like, oh, well, that's that, right? To us um, um, civilians, it's just a thing that happens. But it affects us tremendously, right? There's a tremendous, they say that water kills more people than war. Well, we're very excited about war right now, but we're not excited enough about water, it seems. Um, and so we need to um, really look at that. What we started doing was like, okay, let's, let's forget that water is not sexy for a minute. What's really going on and how can we make a change? And over time, we found out that the thing that's happening in water is what's happening in a lot of industries, which is decentralization. Just like, for example, energy turning to solar and so forth. Well, more and more it's happening in water, not because um, people want to, but because they're forced to. The central infrastructure is falling apart. It's not being funded properly. And even if they had a trillion dollars to spend, where are you going to put all the big water plants? There's no, it's all an urban landscape now, and it's going to take forever. And then everybody's going to object to having a water plant next to them. Because <laughs> that turns their, their neighborhood into a low-class neighborhood. So long story short is we're not going to get the big centralized public works that we had for the last hundred years. This is not going to happen. Instead, we're going to have small point of use water systems. If you're a brewery and you're generating a lot of brewery wastewater, you're going to clean that water yourself. Now, if you're at a brewery, you're not in the water business. You don't know a thing about water. You're not, you don't have the capital for it. And you don't have the expertise. You're like, this problem needs to go away. And so what we've over the years figured out, especially after COVID hit, that was a big, big um, reality check for us. Like, ooh, we better do something serious, right? Because COVID had a way of really testing us all, didn't it? Right? I mean, if you, even if you were in a, in a business that wasn't really badly hit, like I would... Thank God I did not never invested in a, in a restaurant. Right. Service industries got really hit, but even ours, because all the assumptions just went away and we had to figure it out. And what we figured out was, guess what? This new do-it-yourself water treatment needs capital. So why don't we raise the capital? And that way, if Wesley has his own brewery, you, you would have a craft brewery, wouldn't you? Right. And, uh, <laughs> you would have a craft brewery and we say, okay, Wesley, you, you can treat your own water sign here. No, we don't need any money. We're good. Just pay on the meter. You're like, okay, sounds good to me. Right. Cause if it's not done right, you don't pay. You're happy. And so all of a sudden it becomes a private utility versus a municipal utility. And that is the new, new thing. So we eventually called this something called water on demand which is a way for ordinary investors to put money into water systems and get royalties just like they get from oil wells. We call it water like an oil well. Why not? And you know what? I'd rather invest in a water system than an oil well. I mean, come on, right? The money is good in oil, but it's ups and downs. And also it's very toxic, but water is life-giving. So we find that investors love the idea and so now, what I was literally uh, announcing on, on a video shoot just now was that the, uh, our board of directors decided to spin off 
Water on Demand as its own fintech pure play. Now, what does that mean? Fintech means it's financial technology. You know, pure play means you're only doing one thing. You know, Airbnb is not going to go do, I don't know, um, spaceships. No, they're going to do hotels owned by people. That's what they do. And so you know what Airbnb is. Well, water on demand is water on demand. So, and why is it fintech? Because we also decided, well, if we're going to raise the money, we're not going to try and build all those machines. Take us forever. Raise $300 million. It'll take 30 years to build that many machines. Instead, delegate it. Let the water industry build them. Let the water industry maintain them. And we're the financial guys. And then the next layer of that is you have financial activity that then gets replicated in all the big finance hubs like Dubai, like London, Singapore, Tokyo, and so forth. And they can take care of the financing of the revolutionary water systems in their area. So this is a concept that has really got people so excited that it's like we explain it and people go, oh my gosh, I got to pull together some money for this, right? And that is a wonderful compliment because it kind of says this is a badly needed thing. Because, um, Wesley, you know what's going on in the world with inflation, right? Yes. It's bad. But the problem is, what are you going to do? Buy gold? Well, gold doesn't make you money. It'll maybe retain value, but that gold sitting in your safe. And then what? It just sits there, right? Well, what the solution is, get into income-bearing assets. Great, except all the assets have been bought up. Bill Gates went and bought up all the farmland, you know. Jeff Bezos is the biggest landowner in America, blah, blah, blah. So all the assets have been bought up, but water is just starting its run. So this is a brand new thing that investors can get into. And that is a pretty good financial strategy for these tough times. Agreed. It's always it's always a luxury and and in this day and time, it's necessary to have cash flowing assets, much like you mentioned. And I know that one avenue, which sounds very interesting to me, and I, and I possibly wouldn't have made that connection immediately, is um, you mentioned brewer, breweries would be a huge avenue for water on demand. I don't want you guys to give away all the secrets right now, but are there any other avenues that you have in mind that could possibly uh, utilize water on demand? Yeah, well, theoretically everyone, but there's some early adopters, as you say, right? There's some that are better than others. For example, we have this whole trend towards work from home, which means that people can move away from the cities. And now they're moving into rural areas where there's even worse water systems. And you've got housing developments that cannot get connected to sewer. It's expensive and the facilities don't exist. So they, they can get their own self-contained. So housing developments are a major action area where they have their own self-contained water treatment. Um, campgrounds, um, you know, RV campgrounds, that kind of stuff. anything that's disconnected is a no-brainer. Trailer parks are huge because, you know, trailer parks, the way they treat their water is they don't. They just put it in a pond and it sits there. There's, I don't know if you've ever driven by a trailer park somewhere in the south and there's a green pond over there. Yes. That's the poop, right? <laughs> And the, the departments of environmental quality in places like Alabama are trying to do something about it. They're trying to improve the grade. And so these trailer parks are being made to clean up their act. 
but they can't connect to the municipal because it's just too dirty. They got to do their own. So we pioneered that for trailer parks. So there's a bunch of really uh, appropriate users. But for example, there's a dealership in Pennsylvania that all they wanted to do was move to a bigger place and they could get cheap land, but they couldn't get the sewage. So we put in there um, what's called black water recirculation, you know, black water uh, system. Uh, and they were able to locate there. And it's one of our case studies. So there's a, there's a number of things, but um, take, uh, you know, pig farms and chicken farms. If they don't treat their water, man, they mess up. Look at the nitrates in the rivers in the Carolinas and so forth. It's a mess. So it's time to really start working things out. By helping these people financially, it gets around the whole issue of capital and it makes it an operating expense. I mean, you know, you, you are very involved with uh, innovators and entrepreneurs, and you know that if somebody can move something from capital to operating expense, it's a much easier sell. Just start paying, you know, rent, basically, right? Exactly. And I think a very important theme here, you know, in, in a buzzword that you mentioned, especially, you know, with the pandemic that we we're kind of coming out of, is pivot. You know, a lot of people found saw that they had to pivot during the pandemic. And you, you know, realized that you had to pivot once the price of crude oil crashed. So, you know, this is well before the pandemic. So how was that transition for you, you know, just transitioning into the water industry from, you know, studying algae and, and understanding how to turn that into a, a natural gas or a fuel? How was that transition for you in that pivot at that time? Well, first of all, you know, I did not, I learned to pivot the hard way, which is in the 80s, I did not pivot and I failed. And that was a harsh lesson to learn, especially when I figured out later on that I did not have to fail. Um, I, I, I was one of the companies pioneering, uh, putting businesses on uh, multi-user computers back in the day. And it was such hard work putting these people on their systems that I thought this, this is, ah, I can't take it. It's just not working, right? What I didn't realize was that they, they remain your client forever, right? And they pay you every month and it turns into this annuity. And um, I gave the business to my best salesman, Juan Anderson. And to this day, he made it, he, made, he became a millionaire off the business because he just kept farming that field, right? That I had, he still has clients that I created with him back then. And so after that, I went, okay, failure only occurs when you stop persisting. So, from now on, I am not giving up. And people are going to know that about me. When, when we went through COVID, um, and we were in Los Angeles at the time, and in the middle of it, we moved down to Florida, the company and us and everything. But we were in LA, and, and we, we were working night and day to fix this problem. And eventually we did. And my wife looked at me, she said, Rich, you're the most persistent guy I know. I'm like, thank you, but... If you're gonna, if, if you're just gonna do it, then you have no choice. What are you gonna do, right? You have to persist. Now, getting to the algae versus the water thing, that is very interesting. I think you have to become good at how do I get the experts to work miracles for me? How can I tap into expertise that exists already? I'm not gonna learn. I didn't learn about the water industry for a long time. It took took me a while to figure out what was going on. Now I'm pretty good. 
Um, I still can't build a water system. I have a great team in McKinney, Texas doing it. And um, they are wizards and I cannot pretend to do even one-tenth, one even 1% of it. But I understand the industry now and how it works financially and how, um, how, it exp- how, how it can expand and how it mostly does not expand the way it does it normally. I know all those things. So, you know, Bill Gates once said something very interesting. He said, always hire people who are smarter than you. If you do that, then I'll get a CFO who is a smarter CFO than me. I'll get an engineer who's a better engineer than me. And that is going to ensure that I don't get completely harassed to death trying to figure out problems because they got it figured out. And they'll come to me. I have a chief operating officer. I don't have to call him. He knows what to do. And he says, Riggs, I, we just accomplished this and this. We just tripled the sales. I'm like, thank you very much. He just does it. What a relief, right? So... I believe get the good people. That's rule number one. That's awesome. And that's a great piece of valuable information. You know, one question that I want to ask you, you know, you were kind of hinting at a, l- a little earlier, but, you know, I want to talk about city water. You know, city water is legal, but is it safe to drink? Yes. Well, there is a very good website, um, which is, um, ewg.org, um, environmentalworkinggroup.org, slash tap water. And you go to that site and you can put in your zip code. And what you'll see is, oh, um, Reno, uh, it's compliant on all these federal requirements, but in reality, this is the real picture based on the science. And believe me, it's not a pretty picture. You will not find a single zip code in America where there's not major problems, right? Because as you said, What's permitted by regulation is far, far behind what is healthy for humans. I like to say that in America, you will not die immediately from the water. Whereas there's places in the world where you will die immediately from the water, right? But America, it's more of a slow process of becoming, getting the toxins, the arsenic and so forth, the microplastics, right? Those are not filtered out. So um, now, I would love to say that we do something about it in the, in the home. We don't operate in the home because that is a whole other challenge that we're going to get to hopefully. But right now we deal with clusters of homes or businesses or industrial users or, or farms. That's our focus. And by the way, that's 87% of all the water use is those guys, right? So the 13% we'll get to, the 87% is what will make people much, much healthier. We will re- we'll return much cleaner water to those cities. And over time, the water will get better. So how can corporations help save the health, help save the health of millions through safer water? Well, it's by give <clears throat> corporations want to do one thing really well, and that's to increase shareholder value. They like to pretend that they're <clears throat> moral and, you know, very uplifting and high, high, uh, high mission to do good. No, they're on a mission to increase shareholder value. If I tell you that you can save money or at least cap your costs with your own water system and you could recycle, therefore get, you reuse that water more than once then, without paying for it again, you're like, oh, that's interesting, right? And I would tell you, and by the way, it's fully managed. You don't have to worry about the details. It's not, it's not DIY. And you go, okay, well, 
fine. Where do I sign? Because if I if <clears throat> if you don't deliver, I don't pay, right? Right. Okay, good. So more and more corporations are delegating things that are not their core mission. They just don't want to know about things that are not their central thing. If you're Intel, you want to make chips. You don't want to do anything else, right? <clears throat> so there's fluorine in the water made from chip fabrication. Well, let's let somebody else get the fluorine out of the water, right? And you just pay for it. And that delegates the problem. And it creates, an, I personally think it's very healthy because it, it creates other micro industries all over the place that are solving individual problems, right? And um, for example, delegating um, uh, employee management, right? Um, PEOs, professional employment organizations. Technically, I work for Trinet. I'm an employee of Trinet, quote unquote, right? Why? Because then they manage all the payroll, they do all the benefits, all the insurance and the this and the that 401k, it's done. They do it better than we could. So why are we trying to do it? You know, I like to tell the story. I, the other day I was in a cafeteria and there was this great coffee machine. You know, and it grinds the, the, the beans on the spot and it makes this great espresso. And I said to the guy, I said, how much does this thing cost? He goes, I don't pay for this thing. I pay by the cup. Somebody else maintains it, keeps it clean, puts the coffee in it. I just pay for the amount of button pushes. <laughs> exactly. And he's happy. And you know what? He's paying more. He's paying more than he would normally, but he doesn't have to worry about the damn coffee machine, right? He's paying for that peace of mind, which is always worth it, a great investment. Um, you know, but one question that I wanted to ask is that, you know, you're no stranger to entrepreneurship. Um, you know, you mentioned that you founded a company before this one, uh, you know, and even before that, you know, you were a CEO at a, a large tech firm. So what I want to ask is that, you know, is is entrepreneurship an interest and a skill set that you think you were born with? Or is it something that developed over time? And if it is something that developed over time, how did you uh, nurture that development? How did you gain your business acumen? Well, Wesley, I think I tend to just get in trouble. And then I get in trouble and then I have to do something about it, right? I, in the 80s, I got into the computer business selling computers. I didn't even know how they worked. I got in such trouble. I then had to somehow recover. And I'm like, oh, crap. I just sold a bunch of computers. I better figure out how they work. And I started getting help. And, you know, that's just, uh, it's probably um, a character defect. But um, I, I tend to just say, what the heck, right? Um, now, we all need to, these days, I believe we need to think entrepreneurially because there is no job out there that is safe. We know that. Um, even in Japan with cradle to grave, no longer, it's over. So what do you do? Well, you know, um, you got, even if you're working a nine to five, you need to enhance yourself. You need to, you know, go to uh, seminars and on the job training and just become better because, you know, the day may well come when you, goodbye. You've been laid off, right? And now, um, you know, it's a terrible thing. I've seen, I've seen uh, the year 2000 when we had the tech crash. One guy, I was in LA at the time. One guy was driving up and down the West Coast, sleeping in his car to try and raise money for his dot com. 
That's all he was doing. Poor guy. I never knew the end of that story, but he was reduced to that. Um, it, these things happen, right? Um, there is there is no stability anymore. I mean, look, I remember in, in October of 2019, I'm looking at the traffic in LA and going, well, economy seems good. Everything seems fine. I, I don't see how it could all grind to a halt. And then March 2022, it, I mean, it did grind to a halt like that. I was like, wow, that is scary, right? And and you got to pivot, like, whoa. Um, and many people either couldn't because they were stuck in things that were just going to be in trouble. But you got to do something um, because the alternative is business suicide, in my opinion. Understood. Understood. I mean, and I, I agree with that 1,000% because this is something that I've never seen before in my lifetime, and it's certainly something that I did not think could happen the entire economy just coming to a halt like a complete standstill so i know that woke probably everyone up and just let them know hey it's important to have multiple revenue sources and it's important to save as well and to plan for the future and have backup plans and just kind of do everything you need to do possible because you know like you said jobs aren't necessarily guaranteed you know, your way of eating today is, is not necessarily the same way you'll be able to eat the next day. Unfortunately, you know, remember the preppers? We used to think they were completely crazy, you know, these crazy preppers. Exactly. And they, <laughs> With their bunkers and everything. Right. They were right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Exactly. Oh, Lord. I feel so embarrassed because like, oh, I guess you were right. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, one important you know, topic that you mentioned or, you know, thing that you mentioned is that you focused on building a team and finding the right expertise. So, you know, what I want to ask is how did you focus on actually building your team and going out and finding those experts in the field that you were in or transitioning to? It's a really good question. Um, I have to say that early on, I could have done a better job of getting really good talent. I, 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 I had, very gutsy talent, but they were, um, I would say, uh, a little bit, um, they were reaching for, like, uh, didn't, were trying to meet the expectations, but they were gutsy. And that's fine. We, we learned a lot from that. But now, starting in um, 2018 is when I started really attracting people who were amazing people. And... Um, you know, I've never gotten a, a, a position in my life by a headhunter. I've always gotten it through networking and I've always acquired talent through networking. People just get interested. Like uh, my most recent hire, it was an amazing um, exec uh, called Andrea D'Agostini. Uh, so he's, he's great despite being Italian. Um, and <laughs> he is now the number two and he's, seriously strategic guy that was one phone call and i i was looking for the right person and somebody said yeah andrea could be available I went, really oh my gosh because i already knew about him it, it's if look if what you're doing is compelling enough people will flock to invest and they'll also flock to work with you both 
right? So make that thing that you're doing so hot and exciting and amazing. They're like, oh my gosh, I got to play this game because this is the best thing going, right? It's like, I got to go work for Elon Musk on his space thing because it's like, oh, SpaceX, because it's so cool, right? He doesn't have any, any recruitment problems at all. So that's what, that's what I think. Exactly. So, you know, in addition to bringing value to your shareholders, how do you define success as a founder and a CEO? I think that we have to always try to achieve real change. And um, first of all, in, in, in the universe, things never stay the same. They either get worse or they get better, right? That's how it is. Left to their own devices, they always get worse. That's called entropy, right? Things just run down. So you got to create and continuously create. It's been said that, um, for example, in a marriage, you've got to create a marriage every single minute. You can't just let it roll. Well, it's the same thing about a business, right? Create, 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 create. And so if you're, it's almost like this heartbeat of creation, right? You're continually, you know, artists are making paintings and so forth. But, you know, in business, we're, we're creative. This is, this is a creative activity. You're putting a vision there of something that is going to achieve something that is hopefully good, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to be one of the people doing bad things. Um, I know that weapons are necessary in this world, but I wouldn't want to make my billions from weapons, really. Right. You know, but I'm not going to sneer at it because I know that nations have to defend themselves, but sometimes it gets a little far gone. But I do know that you need to create something that is, you know, a vision of yours and then keep creating it, keep creating it, keep putting it there and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And people will definitely be attracted to it as customers, as investors, as fellow um, team members. And that creates these wonderful organizations that people remember. They remember having worked with them. Look at the beginning of Silicon Valley. The very first Silicon Valley company was Fairchild Semiconductor. And that was the beginning of it. And people who worked at Fairchild remembered it for the rest of their lives, right? That's super cool. Exactly. I mean, and you know, you speak about just doing something creative and interesting and impactful enough that it'll just attract uh, employees. It'll attract investors. It'll attract, it'll attract um, you know, just the right people and the right energy. With that being said, how can an individual invest in or invest with Origin Clear or Water On Demand? Is it are, is your company only looking for accredited investors? Can the the you know non-accredited accredited investor invest with your company? How does that work? Okay, so of course we're a public company, so people can always buy the stock, and that's it's great because the stock's cheap. Um, that's number one. Number two. Yes, they can invest in water on demand as an accredited investor, uh, which, as you know, um, is uh, you know two hundred thousand uh, dollar a year as an individual, three hundred thousand with a cohabitant, or a million dollars net worth, excluding your primary home. So that weeds out a lot of people. The good news is that today, what the board of directors decided as part of the spinoff of Water on Demand Inc., we are going to uh, launch a Regulation A offering which will be for unaccredited investors. I strongly believe in that. Um, 
because I don't, it's terrible that only the 1% get the benefits. What kind of BS is that, right? It's always annoyed me. And I get people saying, why can't I invest? I have, I have $50,000. Yeah, but you're not accredited. I'm sorry. Um, what are you going to do? So yes, the answer is right now, if you're unaccredited, you, you can buy the stock. If you're accredited, you can invest in what on demand. Just go to originclear.com. There's a green invest button. Boom. It'll explain everything. And in the near future, we will have an unaccredited offering in the new spinoff Water on Demand, Inc. That's awesome. How would you like for people to remember you and your company? Well, um, the, the dream became reality. I think that's the important thing. Is In other words, they dreamt big and then they did it. Uh, Elon Musk, and his, he made a... Uh, commencement address at uh, Caltech a few years ago. And in that commencement address, you can get it on the transcript on, on Google. He says, it's easy to do a PowerPoint. It's a little bit harder to build a car, right? Build the car, he says, build the car. And that's what I want to be remembered as, is having someone who tangibly made things happen in the real world that were better and different. And so dream big and actually did big. That would be, and uh, I believe we're on our way, but that's obviously still got to show, you know, um, our regular business is taking off, but we think Water on Demand is really going to do our, our thing. And that's my, that's my ambition. Um, you know, I, I don't have 100 years ahead of me, but I got plenty of years to make this a success. That's awesome. What does the future of Origin Clear look like to you? I see Origin Clear as um, as a launch pad, right? Like uh, Cape Canaveral, just a bunch of um, things that we develop. Okay, we incubate this. Okay, we incubate this, and we keep, of course, a uh, significant percentage over time of each of these. Let's say it's a third, right? Well, a third of a lot of these is a lot more than trying to bunch it all up in one. So I, I, I think that we're, we're turning it into more of an incubator model, and um, and that allows us to be, and when we launch these companies, we'll be their um, service organization for finance, HR, IT, you know, all that stuff that, why replicate that, right? So we will continue to supply those central marketing, things like that. They focus on their core mission, again, because that's what I believe in. And they will become, because they're pure plays, they'll become very well um focused activities that attract a lot of success in the end. So that, that is really the future of Origin Clear is to be uh, an idea lab in a way. That's awesome. I mean, it's just remarkable what, you know, your company and your brand is, is solving for and, you know, attacking, like I mentioned earlier, just a problem that, that can seem so large and, and, and kind of scary to, to try to solve for but your company is solving the problems that really matter and, and that will really affect billions of people. From your lips to God's ears. I mean, that is really um, what, what we believe we can do. It's hard. It's kind of like getting a locomotive going slow at first, but it can be done. And, um, and that, that is, 
what I'm excited about is that we really have this tiger by the tail and it's really happening. Um, and that's why I love it when people show up each week at my Thursday night briefings, because they get the latest and greatest right then and there. And we try and say everything, everything we possibly can say within the law, we say, and that people realize and they appreciate. That's remarkable. Riggs, thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed talking to you and learning from you and I wish you all the best. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure. I learn from these challenging interviews too. So I appreciate it. And I wish you all the best uh, in your future podcasting. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you.